Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. My name's Stephen Jones, like Drew shared with you. Um, married, my wife's name's Natalie. We've been married for almost eight years here uh, in a month or so. Uh, we have four kids, Isla, Jack, Crew, and Jace. They are six, four, two, and nine months, which Drew was like, oh man, are you sure you want to plant a church? Yeah, we're, we're going to do it. Like, it's, it's happening. We, we bought a house down there. It's going to be great. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, that, we are the Joneses. We're currently down in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Natalie and I both grew up in Des Moines, went to Iowa State, and have been in Cedar Falls at Candeo Church since 2019, and we'll be moving up to join you Minnesotans here uh, in June, which is very exciting, starting a church. Yeah, thank you for the clap. Uh, the one clap. No, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but we would love if Hazel has the gift of prophecy and Kaylee and Dave would come with us. That'd be great. Like, if you guys want to talk, we can. Kaylee was a bridesmaid in our wedding, discipled Natalie in college. Dave and I got breakfast every Wednesday morning for a year in college. So we love so many people in this church. I remember in May of 2017, standing on the U of M's campus, praying with a group of people about this church about what God would do in the cities. And it has been incredible to see what God has done over the last six or seven years in the life of this church through your guys' assault companies on 10 plus campuses here in the cities. It is extraordinary. And we could not be more excited what God has done in the life of this church through so many uh, people that we love and cherish. And we're praying that God would do it again, that God would do it again in the community of Mankato. Uh, two years ago, we began to explore different communities that we might plant in. I even called Drew to get some advice about Mankato and a few other locations we were considering. And Mankato quickly gripped our hearts. And I even called it to Drew this morning. I was like, it is a gem of a place. It really is. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of Mankato, but there's over 100,000 people in the area, 22,000 students in the community, 10% of students at MSU, so 1,300 students, are international students. And it's just incredible, the opportunities. The community's grown by 25% in the last two decades. And so there's life and vibrancy, and it's just this great community. And we quickly fell in love with Mankato. And really two reasons. First, the unique fit, and second, the unique need. So we showed up and we're like, man, this is a great fit for our family and our church network. Just the kind of college town and community that our church, church is flourishing. In fact, it's within four hours of 10 salt companies. So we were in Shields and I was looking at MSU gear and this couple comes around the corner. Uh, I'm from Iowa and I went to Iowa State. So, and you guys are in the Big Ten, so you'll get this joke. Uh, this this like employee shows these two customers a Hawkeye shirt. He goes, oh, here it is. And I was like, oh, you guys are looking for janitor rags? Yes. Boo Iowa, boo Hawkeyes. Let's go U of M. Let's go Iowa State, right? We can all get on board for that. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, you must be from Iowa. So they, they leave because they didn't like me and that's okay. But I started talking to the employee and he's an MSU student. And I told him, hey, we're moving up here. And he's like, well, why are you moving? I said, well, have you ever heard of a thing called Salt Company? He's like, yeah, my buddy was just baptized at the salt company in Ames last week. I was like, dude, no way. That's incredible. And I was like, well, we're coming up here to start a church in a salt company for Minnesota State. And he goes, what? We're getting one of those? And I was like, yeah, man. Like, it's like a Chick-fil-A franchise. Like, you're getting it, man. We're coming. <laughs> 
But there's so many connections, even like you in this room, especially you students, you have friends that went to Minnesota State last year. You know, you have friends there right now, and there's so many connections. So there's this, this unique fit that we really believe that we'll have an effectiveness in that community. And yet, simultaneously, there's a unique need. Out of those 22,000 students, we were talking to one pastor in the community, and he estimates that only 175 are a part of a campus ministry or church. And it's just, it's apparent, like, the reputation of Minnesota State is a place of darkness, a party school. It's apparent that there is a tremendous need in the community. And we've been really thankful. We've been able to meet some amazing pastors and amazing people in the community, some great campus ministries that we're really excited to come alongside and really grateful for their labor in that community for decades before we'll show up. And yet we are seeing that there is still a tremendous need for more churches and more campus ministries in that community. In fact, the CDC put out a report last year, and it reported that 24% of adults in Mankato claim that they regularly binge drink. And so this community, this campus, there is just a huge need for the, the light of Jesus and for a gospel witness to go there. And to, to help strengthen what those who are already there are doing. So we can't wait. Uh, if you want to learn more, uh, we have a website, greatoakschurch.org. You can come to the meeting after this. We're really asking people to consider three ways of getting involved. Praying for us. We have a prayer team that is committing to pray for us every Wednesday morning at 10.02. Uh, if you are interested in financially partnering with us, we have options for that and information on that. And then if you're considering moving, like Kaylee and Dave are moving... We can talk to you about that. <laughs> Kaylee is so unhappy with me right now. Kaylee, we'll take you, Dave. You can stay there. We'll like split the difference. So, um, but if you're interested in that, we'd love to have that conversation. And then one more thing, especially for you Minnesotans, we have a preview service coming up March 12th over Iowa spring break. We'll be up there uh, to, to have a salt company service for Minnesota State students. So if you know students in the community, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., March 12th, we're going to have a service for them. And we'd love for you to invite those people to that service or even come on down for the evening, bring your friends with you. Uh, and we would love to have your friends get to know uh, the ministry and what we're going to be doing this, this fall there. So uh, as you heard, we're in John 15 this morning. So if you, if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn there. We're looking at verses 12 through 27. I met with my friend Isaac this week, and we're starting a seven-week Bible study. He's disconnected from church. He, would, he claims to know Christ, but he's disconnected. But we're starting this seven-week Bible study. And the first week, this week, I asked him a simple question to start this off. I said, hey, Isaac, how would you describe Jesus? Like, how would you describe who he is and, and your relationship with him and, and what he's done for us? And he, he came up with three words, and those words were great. He said, powerful, savior, and dependable. I was like, yeah, those are great words. Those are great descriptions of who Jesus is. Those are true descriptions. But ask yourself that. How would you describe Jesus? How do you think about your relationship with him? What are the words you would use to describe that? There's a lot. There's a lot of legitimate ways to describe who Jesus is, right? Savior, Lord, King, Messiah, like the, all those are good and true descriptions. But this morning, I want us to meditate on one aspect of our relationship with him, one dynamic, one identity of who he is, and it's a simple identity. 
It's really simple, but yet it has a profound impact when we embrace this aspect of our relationship with Jesus. And here it is. Friend. Friendship with Jesus. What I want us to do this morning is marvel at the depth and beauty of friendship with Jesus. Right? And on some level that feels kind of simple and quaint and nice, but when, you, when we dig into this this morning, we're going to see that it will have a profound impact on us if we embrace this aspect of our relationship with him, that Jesus is my friend, that he calls us friends. So we're going to see four aspects of friendship with Christ this morning. First, the calling of friendship. Second, the fruit of friendship. Third, the cost of friendship. And then lastly, the gift of friendship. Calling, fruit, cost, gift. And I hope that we find a fresh wonder at who Jesus is and what it means to be friends with him. So first, the calling of friendship. Look at verse 12 of chapter 15. Here's how it starts. Jesus says, this is my command, love one another. So he starts with a command, love one another. We as brothers and sisters in Christ should love each other. How? What does that look like? Well, how does he finish that sentence? As I have loved you. We're to love one another as Christ has loved us. And how did he do that? Look at verse 13. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. What's he saying? There's no greater demonstration of love than what I've done for you, to lay down my life for you. That is the greatest demonstration of love. So what are we to do? What are we being commanded? Love one another in the way that Christ loved us, by laying his life down for us. You see, Christ loved us He laid his life down, and when we get that, it will move us to obey and love one another. What is going to make you a loving person? Embracing, being blown away that Jesus loved us enough that he laid down his life. That when you and I were in the domain of darkness, Colossians 1.13, Jesus looked at us and said, friends, and laid down his life. And because of that, we have a new relationship with him. And what's that relationship? Well, 14 through 16 describes this new relationship. Look at these verses. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I have called you my friends. That is so beautiful. Jesus calls us a friend. What is he saying here? When you love one another, you show that you are my friend. You're demonstrating that we have friendship, a relationship together. And he's saying, I'm not calling you servants anymore. Why? Because I have told you everything that my father has told me. Think about the phrase, real friends don't keep secrets. This is what Jesus is doing. He's like, I haven't kept any secrets from you. Like, this is one of the foundational aspects of being a friend, that you are transparent and authentic and open yourself up to the other person. This is what Jesus is doing. I haven't kept anything that the Father has told me from you. I have no secrets. And what is the secret that he's revealed? Well, in Christ, we've seen the mystery of God, the plan of salvation revealed in him. That's the great secret he's revealed. 
Real friends don't keep secret, and Jesus isn't with us. He isn't keeping a secret from us. So what is the result? I have called you friends. You are called a friend by Jesus. Like, think about the implications of this. Like, think about how incredible this is. Like, have you ever felt insecurity in relationship? Maybe there's somebody that you really want to be a friend with, and you kind of wonder, like, okay, I know I'm, like, I'm going to call them my friend, but I don't know how they feel about me. And you kind of wonder, like, where do I stand with this person? And then all of a sudden, they, like, introduce you to someone. They say, hey, this is my friend, Joe. And you're like, oh, okay, we are friends. Or they invite you to something. There's, like, this relief of, like, oh, they're identifying me as their friend also. Great, I'm glad we're friends. Like, Jesus isn't being a coy friend here. He's saying, I have called you my friend. It's incredible. And then he double downs. Not only does he call us his friend, what does he say in verse 16? You did not choose me, I chose you. Like, wow. Like, recess schoolyard pick, and Jesus picked you. He didn't leave you on the sideline. This wasn't us looking at the most popular kid in school and saying, man, I hope that if I invite them to my birthday, like they'll, they'll invite me to theirs. Like maybe if I invite them, they'll invite me. No, this is Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, exalted Christ saying, I'm calling you friend. And not only that, I picked you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And the reality is this is the only way it could have happened. Romans 3 tells us that in our depravity, no one seeks God. None of us in our sin, in our depravity, could have sought God, but he sought us. He chose us, and he has called us his friends. Like, consider this for a moment. Just the profound impact. If you embrace this aspect of your relationship, friendship with Jesus, the change that would happen in your life. Think about insecurity. Your need for approval. The eternal king chose you, saw you, cherished you so much, he chose you as his friend. Think about comfort as we've walked through trials in life. I mean, walking through a trial, having the presence of a friend is incredible. You have the presence of the king of kings as a friend. Think about the comfort and warmth and steadiness that that relationship brings. Even think about something like repentance, trying to grow through our sin struggles and obedience to Jesus. You see, some of us think of like sinning the same way we think of like traffic violations. Like, shouldn't do it, I'm gonna follow the speed limits, but if I don't, like I'll get a fine, but there's no like sting, relational sting when I get a speeding ticket. Like, I don't like it. There's a sting on the fee, but there's no relational sting. It's not like, oh, man, I hurt this friend. Some of us relate to Jesus the same way we we relate to getting traffic fines. Like, we see him as this kind of, like, government entity. But what happens when we see Jesus as a friend? We begin to realize that our sin is an offense against a friendship. And what does that do? It begins to produce a grieving in our soul. But then a comfort as he offers us the resources for growth and healing. Embracing this relationship changes so much in our life. Jesus calls you his friend. Right? He's not just this government authority out there. 
that's distant relationally. Just giving us laws, we're grateful for them, we respect them, but we're distant from them. No, there's a relationship there. There's a warmth. There's an intimacy. You see, Jesus is our greatest authority. He is the eternal king, and yet he's a king who is near to us in friendship. It's incredible. And he's inviting us into a real relationship with himself. A relationship where there's delight and joy to experience comfort and loyalty of a friend, to experience the steadying presence of him, to walk with him our entire life in friendship. Is that how you see Jesus? Is this when you think of Jesus, when I ask you to describe Jesus in your mind, is, is one of the primary ways you view him is his friend? Is this how you see him? Is this how you interact with him? Jesus is inviting you into a near and intimate and warm relationship with himself. Friendship. Though we were enemies in the domain of darkness, Jesus laid down his life. Therefore, he has called us friends. That's the calling of friendship. Now, what happens when we embrace the calling of friendship? Well, the next three aspects are the result of our friendship with Jesus. So the first one we're going to see, this, so calling of friendship. The second one we're going to see is the fruit of friendship. Look at verse 16 to 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. You see, friendship with Jesus brings transformation. It changes us. It bears fruit. What did Jesus say in verse 14? You will be called friends if you obey my commands. Well, what did he command? Well, we saw in verse 12, we saw in verse 17, love one another. So what is this fruit that we should bear? What is this command we should follow? Love one another. Friendship with Jesus transforms you into a person who loves others. The greater love will be true of you if you are a Christian. Loving other believers is the natural and inevitable result of friendship with Jesus. You will love if you are in Christ. This is the fruit of friendship. And this dynamic happens in all of our friendships, right? All true friendships begin to influence us. We are shaped by our friends, so before Natalie and I started dating, I listened to one type of music, all through junior high, all through high school, all through college until we started dating, and that was classic rock. Like my brothers and I, like I don't know, maybe we were kind of weird for our time, but we only listened to ACDC, Journey, and Van Halen. Like that's it. That's all we listened to. And of all the musics out there, the one that we despised and I despised the most was country. I was like, that's not real music. But then I met Natalie. And then I fell in love. And guess what Natalie's favorite kind of music is? Country. That's right. Married a country girl, Southeast Polk. State champions last night in wrestling. Let's go. I know none of you care about that because Minnesota is an inferior state when it comes to wrestling. But, oh, man, okay, I got to stop doing that, Drew. Okay. Minnesota's the best. Woo. Okay. <laughs> I'll get used to that. I'll get used to that. Um, but I married a girl who loves country. And so we start dating. And what happened? I started listening to country with her. And at first it was just because I was madly in love with her, right? And, but slowly what began to happen? I began to acquire the taste for country. And so now we've almost been together for a decade. And I kid you not, my favorite kind of music is country. 
It is. It's like totally changed. It's no longer like me just trying to be like the nice boyfriend who listens to country music for my girlfriend. It's like, no, that's like what I listen to. That is my main music now. Like Luke Combs, oh my word, let's go. Like Fast Car, best song. Like it's so good. Like I love country now. What happens in true friendship? You begin to love what your friends love. Who does Jesus love? His people, his church, his sheep. And as you grow in friendship with Jesus, as you begin to delight and love him, what happens? You will inevitably love what he loves. It's impossible not to. I mean, think about like what we'd be doing if we didn't love one another in this room. We'd be saying, hey, I have a friend named Jesus and I love him. And apparently he loved you enough that he went to the cross, died on your behalf, sacrificed his life to redeem you from hell. But I can't stand you. It's like, what? That doesn't work. Like, how could we think that? How could that be where we're at? Like, my best friend Jesus loves you and cherishes you and delights in you, but I don't like you. It's like that, it's antithetical. Like, it doesn't work. When we grow in friendship with Jesus, as we grow closer to him, it draws us closer to one another. We will love what our friends love. Friendship with Jesus bears fruit. It's inevitable. A pastor, Matt Carter, described this reality in a really helpful illustration. He says, as Americans, we will file tax returns. Right? We're in tax return season. He says, as Americans, we will file tax returns. Now, does filing the tax return make you an American? No. But because you're an American, you will file a tax return. Here's what Jesus is showing us. As a Christian, you will love other Christians. You will. If you're going to be friends with Jesus, you will bear fruit. If you're going to be, like, if you're going to be my friends, you have to obey my commands. You have to love one another. This will be true of us. Now, does loving others make us a Christian? No. But because you're a Christian, you will love one another. This is the fruit of friendship. When we become friends with Jesus, it changes us. It transforms us. It bears fruit in our lives. That is the fruit of friendship. Now, there's a cost of friendship. And we're going to see that in this next section. Uh, last month, I was helping my daughter, she's in kindergarten, navigate the world of kindergarten social circles. And what developed in her class, she came home one day uh, last month, and she was really distraught. And I said, Isla, what happened? And she's like, well, my two friends, they don't like each other. And they formed two groups. And I was playing with this group, and this friend told me that if I kept playing with this group at recess, I couldn't be their friend anymore. And so we got these, like, click leaders and this click forming in Isla's kindergarten class. And she's in the middle of it. And so I like sit down, we talk through it, I give her advice on what she should do. And basically what we came up with is like, okay, you like this person, but you need to tell them, hey, I want to be your friend, but I can't have an exclusive friendship with you. And I gave her like a kindergarten level word, but I couldn't remember it today, so I'm using the word exclusive. <laughs> so I said, tell her you want to be your friend, but no exclusive friendships. So we get her pumped up. She goes to like school the next day. I pick her up. I said, hey, how'd that conversation go? And she's like, well, we got to recess and they were playing with each other. So the clicks dissolved. I'm like, oh, okay, like, great. Like, this is fantastic. I love being, like, I love, I love kindergarten. It's great. Um, here's the reality. For a kindergartner, and for us, good social etiquette, no exclusive friendships. 
But the opposite is true with Jesus. You see, friendship with Jesus is an exclusive friendship. Look what he shows us in verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Friendship with the world or friendship with Jesus. There's no in-between. You can't play with the world at one recess and with Jesus at the next. Friendship with Jesus is exclusive. There is a cost to friendship. And what's that cost? Hatred and persecution. This is the reality. When you embrace friendship with Jesus, it will change you. It will transform you. And you will no longer value the things the world values. You no longer make decisions the way the the world makes decisions. You'll no longer behave the way the world behaves. You'll no longer believe what the world believes. And sooner or later, that's going to rub against the world. And what's going to happen? They will hate you. This is the cost of friendship with Jesus. It's inevitable. No matter how nice we are, no matter how gentle, no matter how eloquent we explain our positions, at some point or another, the world will hate us. Why? Verse 21, on account of my name. Simply because of our friendship with Jesus. And listen, Jesus commands us to be as innocent as doves. We shouldn't go out of our way to be hated. We shouldn't celebrate being obnoxious. But we do need to accept that if we are going to embrace friendship with Jesus, it will mean hatred from the world. His friendship is exclusive. There will be relationships you lose, job opportunities you miss out on, false things said of you because of Jesus. And listen, we should try to write our doctrinal positions and our ethical practices as accurately and winsomely as we can. But at some point or another, we need to stop being surprised that the world hates what we believe. Right? Like, sometimes we act as if we're surprised. Like, wait, you don't like this doctrine that I believe? Like, what? Like, I thought you would be all for, like, Jesus being the only way to God. Like, you're not about that? It's like, why are we surprised when, we, when the world hates things that we believe or hates practices that we embrace? You see, friendship with Jesus carries a cost. You can't be the friend that tries to attend both parties. It doesn't work. You can't say, I want both. I want friendship with Jesus and friendship with the world. Why? If you're really a friend of Jesus, the world will sniff that out. And what does Jesus say? If you perfectly fit in with the world, then you're not a friend with Jesus. Now, does that mean every non-believer is going to hate you? No. Does that mean you're going to get fired from every job? No. But what, I'm, what it does mean is that at some level, your association with Jesus will cost you. 
Now, how do we navigate that? How do we embrace this cost? Well, we need to see the gift that he's given us. That as we're navigating this life, this life that we're aliens and foreigners in, there's a gift. Look at verse 26. Here's the gift of friendship. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You will also testify because you have been with me from the beginning. What is the gift that Jesus is giving us to navigate all that? His spirit. The spirit of God dwelling within us, guiding us, comforting us, changing us, giving us wisdom, giving us counsel, reminding us, testifying of Jesus, reminding us of who he is and what he's done. You see, what is Jesus saying? We aren't in this world alone. This is the gift of friendship with Jesus. All right, step back. Jesus is inviting us into friendship with him. Now, that friendship is going to change us. That friendship is going to cost us, but that friendship carries a gift. How can we know that Jesus is going to be this kind of friend? How can we trust him with our whole life to say no to the world, to let him change us, to let him transform our lives? How can we know that it's all worth it? The reality is he's the only friend that could actually lay down his life for us. Think about this. Jesus was the only person who ever existed who did not have to die. He was the only one that death had no demand on his life. All of us are going to die at some point. But Jesus was the only person who ever lived who didn't have to die, and yet he gave up his life for us so that we could be called friends. If we have a friend who would give up his life for us, then we have a friend who is worth giving our whole life to. There's an incredible woman that's a part of Candeo Church. Her name's Gloria Gehring. She's an 80-year-old woman. Uh, she's just delightful, just an amazing, amazing, godly woman. She's such a gift to her church, and she's one of those women that every time I talk with her, you could just sense the presence of Jesus. Like you have walked with Jesus for decades. Just her peace, her love, her joy, her kindness. What comes out of her mouth, it's just like, oh, you've been with Jesus. In fact, she actually wrote a book 10 years ago called God's Appointments. And the subtitle is 50 Years of Soul Winning. And 50 years ago, she uh, established this goal. She began to pray regularly. God, let me influence enough, like the same number of people for Christ as I am years old. And so at that time, she was 30. And after she influenced over 30 people for Christ, she changed her prayer. She said, Jesus, would you allow me to influence over 1,000 people for Christ in my lifetime? And by 2011, she had exceeded that number and wrote this book. And it's incredible. And it's just amazing because she's just this sweet, unassuming, godly woman. And uh, in this book, she describes the night that she surrendered her life to Christ back in 1959. And after hearing the gospel presented, this is what she said she prayed. She said, I whispered, yes, Jesus, be my savior and pay for my sin. It was a mystery to me that he could love me, but I marveled that he did and decided to trust him. While he was at it, I also told him I needed him to be my friend. He took me up on that invitation. We're not saved by feelings, but I experienced deep emotion as the empty hole in my heart was filled and the heavy weight of my sin was lifted from my shoulders. 
I needed him to be my friend. And Gloria now for 65 years has walked in friendship with Jesus. And it's just evident in her life. See, here's the opportunity that Jesus is inviting us into. A lifetime of friendship. A lifetime of walking with him as friends. Letting him change us. Letting him comfort us through trials. Letting him bear the weight of our sorrows. Enjoying him our whole lives and then enjoying him for all of eternity. If we embrace his friendship, it will bear fruit in our lives. It will be a comfort to us as we live. Let us pray. God, thank you so much for friendship. God, in some ways a simple concept, but so profound that the God of the universe, the creator of all, the word calls us friends. Jesus, would we see you and hear you, that you are calling us friends? Would we cultivate this friendship? Would it change us? Would it mold us? Would it shape us into the people that you've called us to be? Would it bear fruit in our lives? And would we delight in the friendship that we have as we walk with you for a lifetime? We love you, Lord. Amen.